You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast. On March 21, 1941, the U.S. Attorney for the Western District of Virginia seized, quote, 21 and a half gross packages of a patent medicine called Happy Day Headache Powder from Max Kaplan, owner of Capital Drug Co. in Roanoke, Virginia, and inadvertently began one of the last and most fantastic medicine shows in American history. To fully grok the context, I recommend going back two episodes and listening to the first two parts of our medicine show history, if you haven't already. But it's been a while, so as a reminder, and I'm not doing it in song this time, when we last left off, author, screenwriter, and muckraking journalist Samuel Hopkins Adams had written a gigantic expose on patent medicines called The Great American Fraud, which had prompted Congress to pass the Pure Food and Drug Act of 1906. But then the Supreme Court got involved, cut the law off at the kneecaps, and allowed the sham medicine industry to flourish once more. Congress passed a series of amendments to the Pure Food and Drug Act designed to restore some of its former power, but with limited success. So, after just five years or so of real regulation, the American pharmaceutical industry returned to its full-on Wild West beginnings. Through the 1930s, there was no meaningful federal legislation for how and what drugs could be sold. But by the time the feds seized all that happy day headache powder in 1941, that had changed. In the early 20th century, medical science was finally coming into its own, but it hadn't yet found its holy grail, a way to treat infection. The first usable, large-scale, broad-spectrum antibiotic, penicillin, wouldn't be discovered until 1928 and wouldn't be used to treat a patient until the 1940s. But before penicillin, the husband and wife French chemistry team Jacques and Therese Truffaut, along with the German bacteriologist Gerhard Domek, found a different way. They discovered that a drug called sulfonilamide inhibited the production of folate, otherwise known as vitamin B9. Without B9, pretty much nothing can live, including both bacteria and, uh, well, humans. Which sounds bad, but here was the brilliant trick. Humans and other mammals don't create their own vitamin B9. We get it from foods we eat, leafy greens, fruit, beans, and nuts mostly. Bacteria, on the other hand, have to produce their own. So, 
a dose of sulfonilamide administered to a patient with an infection stops the production of B9 in both the person and the bacteria, but only one of them is actually producing it in the first place. Bingo. Bango. You got yourself the first safe, commercially viable antibacterial agent going. Sulfonilamide was a miracle drug and earned Domek a Nobel Prize in 1939. In the United States, it was chiefly produced by S.E. Massengill Company out of Bristol, Tennessee. But after a year or two, Massengill was perplexed. They had a safe, effective, and cheap drug that was the only real treatment on market for strep infection. But for some reason, it wasn't selling as well as anticipated. A salesman for the company suggested the problem was the delivery method. They were selling sulfonilamide as a powder or a pill. But strep was mainly a problem for kids, and kids didn't like the powder and had trouble swallowing the pill. What they needed was a liquid version that could be easily sipped, even with a sore throat. And if they could make it taste good, that'd be all the better. Massengill's top pharmacist, Harold Cole Watkins, was on the case. He found a way to dissolve the powder in a syrup without lessening its therapeutic value. And, for good measure, he got it tasting like raspberries. In September of 1937, Massenkill brought to market the new, child-friendly version of their antibiotic, elixir sulfonilamide. Problem solved. Or I should say, problem replaced. With a much bigger problem. See, the sweet liquid solvent Watkins had used to dissolve the sulfonilamide was called diethylene glycol. But its friends call it antifreeze. By mid-October, reports were coming in to Massengill, to the American Medical Association, and to the FDA that elixir sulfonilamide was poisonous. Massengill sent telegrams out to pharmacies, doctors, and salesmen to recall the drug, but when the FDA arrived on the scene, they found out that the company, in an attempt to save its own ass, had phrased the recall as a polite request and had not mentioned the danger of the product. The FDA mobilized almost its entire staff to tracing and retrieving every last raspberry drop of elixir sulfonilamide around the country. They determined that 240 gallons had made it to market, and after a long and arduous campaign, were able to seize and destroy 234 of them. The other six gallons, however, were impossible to recover, because they had already been drunk. More than 100 people most of them children, died. The public outcry against S.E. Massengill Company was fast and furious. People wanted heads to roll. Only one did. On January 18, 1939, Harold Cole Watkins shot himself through the heart. Even so, Massengill argued that they had done nothing illegal. Neither Watkins nor the company had known that diethylene glycol was toxic. And there was, get this, no law that said that they had to test or ensure the drugs they made were safe. As long as they weren't selling poison on purpose, they were totally free of culpability. And they were right. In a bit of Elliot Ness-like legal massaging, the FDA managed to nail Massengill not for killing dozens of children, that was perfectly legal, but for erroneously calling their product an elixir even though it contained no ethanol. The company was charged a small fine and continued on. 
the elixir sulfonilamide disaster and the scandal around Massengill getting away basically scot-free finally prompted Congress to do something about the libertarian state of American medicine. In 1938, they passed the Federal Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act, which finally gave the FDA real regulatory power. It made it so drug manufacturers had to ensure the safety and efficacy of their products, including making sure that instructions for use were clear and correct and making sure that all drug advertisements were accurate. Which is how, on March 21st, 1941, the U.S. Attorney for Western Virginia nabbed 21 and a half packages of Happy Day Headache Powder from Max Kaplan's Capital Drug Co., the FDA determined that Happy Day Headache Powder was a mixture of caffeine, aspirin, milk sugar, and an analgesic called acetanilide, which was known to cause kidney and liver damage. The packaging for Happy Day Headache Powder gave instructions for use that would probably lead to long-term damage in adults and, worse still, approved giving the drug to children over the age of six. There was no warning label, but instead a long list of at-best questionable claims about Happy Day's usefulness in treating myriad health problems, including the common cold, hay fever, nervousness, tonsillitis, headache, rheumatism, influenza, strep throat, and, quote, menstrual disturbances. They ordered the producer of Happy Day headache powder to appear before the court to defend the product. But nobody ever showed. So, the medicine was destroyed, and Happy Day Headache Powder was out of business. That producer, however, had escaped liability through the clever strategy of not showing up. His name was Dudley J. LeBlanc, a Louisiana politician and flimflam man, the likes of which only the great state of Louisiana could produce. No longer able to sell his Happy Day Headache Powder, he came up with a new idea. A scam that made him rich and famous all around the country. This is The Constant, a history of getting things wrong. I'm Mark Chrysler. After a little diversion, we're getting back to this multi-part series on medicine shows. Sort of. As far as the groundwork and history of the industry goes, the 1938 Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act is as far as we're venturing. There's too much to say about the 20th century medical industry and both its legitimate and illegitimate dealings. We've already covered some of those stories, like the radium medicine craze and homeopathy, and I'll eventually get around to telling you a bunch of other wild stories. I've been sitting on a draft about Wilhelm Reich for literally years now. But as far as the show part of the medicine show industry goes, I've got two stories left for you, which I believe to be the most spectacular and flamboyant examples out there. I was originally going to tell them both in one episode as sort of a one-two punch, but I think they each deserve a place of their own. So you'll have to forgive this turning into a pseudo four-part series. Really, though, these last two stories stand on their own, so I'm going to let them do that. While in a sense, this is the Constant Medicine Show Part 3, I prefer to think of it as its own animal. I'm calling this week's episode The Hat-A-Call Boogie.
Now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. I don't know about y'all, but I feel like I've been burning the candle at both ends for longer than there's candle to burn. Life can be overwhelming, and many people are burned out without even knowing it. Symptoms can include lack of motivation, irritability, fatigue, and more. We associate burnout with work, but that's not the only cause. Any of our roles in life can lead us to feeling burned out. BetterHelp Online Therapy wants to remind you to prioritize yourself. Talking with someone can help you figure out what's causing stress in your life. If you're feeling frayed, and even if you're not, BetterHelp might be right for you. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Our listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash the constant. That's betterhelp.com slash the constant. You've looked at your business's hiring from every angle, but there's something you feel like you're missing. In your core, you know it could be faster. You're right. You need Indeed. Indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites, searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring partner that can help you do it all. Find great talent faster through time-saving tools like Indeed Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. With Instant Match, over 80% of employers get quality candidates whose resume on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job, according to Indeed Data US. Indeed has so many ways to make things easy, you've got to see it for yourself. Indeed saves you headaches. Interview virtually with no downloads, plugins, or purchases. You can do it all in one place with Indeed. Even better, Indeed's the only job site where you only pay for applications that meet your must-have requirements. Indeed is an unbelievably powerful hiring partner, delivering four times more hires than all other job sites combined, according to Talent Nest 2019. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Sign up for Indeed now and get a $75 credit toward your first sponsored job. Plus, earn up to $500 extra in sponsored job credits with Indeed's virtual interviews. Visit Indeed.com slash The Constant to learn more. Claim your credits at Indeed.com slash The Constant. Indeed.com slash The Constant. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Dudley J. LeBlanc was an Acadian Cajun, born to a Louisiana backwoods blacksmith in 1895. He didn't receive much of an early education and only spoke Louisiana French before puberty. But the young Dudley, known locally as Cousin Dud, was industrious. As a teenager, he started his own business pressing pants to pay for formal schooling. After serving in Europe during World War I, he returned to Louisiana as a traveling salesman, hawking shoes, tobacco, and, <laughs> of course, patent medicines. He first found real success partnering with some friends to form the Thibodeau Benevolent Association, a burial insurance company. With newfound legitimacy, Cousin Dud got into Louisiana politics, first being elected as a public service commissioner in 1926 and then as a state senator. But in the process, he made some powerful enemies. In both races, he went up against candidates handpicked by Huey Long, the most powerful political figure in Louisiana history, also known as the Kingfish. 
Long and his family ruled the Democratic Party in the state with a platform both of radical progressive populism and absolutely revolting racism. Long became governor in 1928, then a U.S. senator, and finally began a run to unseat FDR for the presidency from within Roosevelt's own party. Nobody in Louisiana crossed Huey Long, except for Dudley J. LeBlanc. Er, well, and Dr. Carl Weiss, who assassinated him at the state capitol in 1935. But I digress! In 1932, LeBlanc fought the long machine head-on, running for governor against the Kingfish's hand-picked successor, Oscar K. Allen. It was a bitter contest, fought both on social issues and explicit race-baiting. And I mean, ooh. Even if you're used to mid-century Southern American race baiting, the 1932 Louisiana governor's race is still fairly shocking. The main line of attack Long and Allen made against LeBlanc revolved around his burial insurance business, the Thibodeau Benevolent Association, which they called... Oh, man, I'm not even going to repeat what they called it, but basically, they smeared LeBlanc for selling high-quality coffins to people of color. And LeBlanc answered that by running photos of Long distributing textbooks to black children. So, man alive, fuck both of them. The social policy part of the race had an interesting domino effect, though. Long and Allen were big government populists, but LeBlanc tried to corner them by proposing even more robust programs than they were. He promised a pension fund of $30 a month for every Louisianan over the age of 60. Allen adopted that policy. And so did the Kingfish himself, Huey Long, who made a similar promise in his presidential primary campaign against Roosevelt. Roosevelt then, too, assimilated the idea, which he eventually passed into law as the social security system. Yes, you got that right. The reason social security exists in the U.S. today is because of good old Cousin Dud. Nevertheless, Cousin Dud lost the governor's mansion handily. And it's at that point that he abandoned the Thibodeau Benevolent Association and went into business selling Happy Day Headache Powder, which the FDA seized and destroyed in 1941, which lined Dudley LeBlanc up for his next patent medicine. Now, I should say, that according to Dudley LeBlanc himself, the downfall of Happy Day Headache Powder had very little to do with the creation of his big success. LeBlanc didn't ever talk about the feds taking down his first medicine business. Instead, the story he told was that in 1943, he began suffering from a terrible pain and swelling in his big toe, a terrible pain that quickly spread throughout his whole body. LeBlanc says he went to doctor after doctor, none of whom could even diagnose, let alone cure him. One said arthritis, another said gout, a third said bury-bury. Finally, he ran into another doctor, an old friend of his, on his way out of hospital, and the friend said that he could cure him. They went together on the spot to the doctor's office, where he gave LeBlanc an injection that almost immediately started to quell the pain. LeBlanc came back for more shots in the coming weeks, and each one led to more marked improvement. He asked the doctor what was in them, but his old friend refused to tell him, saying... This is the quote according to Cousin Dud. Dude, you crazy? You think I give away my secrets to a man in the patent medicine business? During his next appointment, though, the doctor was busy, and a nurse delivered the injection instead. To quote LeBlanc again, She wasn't so smart as him, nor so careful either. 
She left the bottle on the table. When she finished, I gave her the old southern chivalry, you know, after you, Gertrude. And as soon as she turned her back, I shoved the bottle in my pocket. LeBlanc took the bottle home, where he inspected the label and learned that he'd been getting vitamin B shots. Which, if you want to get technical, means that LeBlanc had likely been suffering from Burry Burry after all. But the conclusion LeBlanc read was that vitamin B was a miracle cure. He formulated a mix of B vitamins along with iron, calcium, and phosphorus mixed into an elixir of honey, dilute hydrochloric acid, and, critically, 12% alcohol. LeBlanc's version of the story says barely anything about the Happy Day headache powder dust-up, but the name and nature of his new product says otherwise. For one, he had learned that if he wanted to keep his new drug on the market, he had to be very careful not to call it a drug. It would be a dietary supplement instead, an elision which is still used frustratingly to this day because a dietary supplement was beyond the close scrutiny of the Food and Drug Administration. And then there's the name. LeBlanc called his new dietary supplement Hadacol. And when asked where he came up with that, he would tell reporters, well, I had to call it something. But the truth was that Hadacol was one little subtle F.U. to the feds. He'd named it after the Happy Day company they had stamped on. Ha-da-co, with an L at the end, taken either from his last name or else in order to subtly signal to the public that his medicine was boozy. Again, that booziness was critical. A lot of the places where Hadacol became truly popular were, not coincidentally, places where alcohol was illegal, in the Deep South and in the northern suburbs of Chicago, where the Prohibition movement had begun. By all accounts, Hadacol tasted awful. Time magazine said it tastes something like bilge water and smells worse. But mixed into cocktails, it was one of very few ways to safely get soused around the nation's many dry counties. Which isn't to say that LeBlanc was just pasting on a patina of curative over liquor. Hadacol was most definitely used for getting drunk, but it was also used to treat or cure basically anything you could throw at it. Advertisements and even the bottles themselves were festooned with testimonials like this one, reportedly written by an 80-year-old man in Mississippi. I was disabled to get over a fence, disabled to get up out of my chair without help, but after I took eight bottles of Hadacol, I can tie up my own shoes and feel like I can jump over a six-foot fence and getting very sassy. A 68-year-old bachelor in Georgia wrote... Hadacol has done so much for me, and I am looking so much better, think I will put a fence around my house to keep the ladies out. He printed these testimonials in newspapers and magazines. He ran jingles on the radio, and he set up large, sensational displays in railway stations across the country. He ran a hilariously crooked promotion on an Atlanta radio station where he asked people to write in and name a mystery song he played in the ads. The song was Dixie, which anyone in Georgia could easily identify. Their reward was a coupon for a free bottle of Hadacol. But when people went to cash them in, they found all of the pharmacy shelves in the city were bare. Because Cousin Dud hadn't actually sent any stock to Atlanta yet. The stunt drove demand so high that when he finally did start selling Hadacol in Atlanta, the city sold out in two days. 
By 1949, with a blitz of stunts and ads and promotions, LeBlanc was soon selling 2 million bottles of Hadacol a month. And then came the medicine show. Aha, you know what that means. It's the sound of another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify gives entrepreneurs the resources once reserved for big business, so upstarts, startups, and established businesses alike can sell everywhere, synchronize online and in-person sales, and effortlessly stay informed. Scaling your business is a journey of endless possibility, and I love how Shopify has the tools and resources that make it easy for any business to succeed, from down the street to around the globe. Shopify powers millions of businesses, from first sale to full scale. Reach customers online and across social networks with an ever-growing suite of channel integrations and apps, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Pinterest, and more. Gain insights as you grow, with detailed reporting on conversion rates, profit margins, and beyond. More than a store, Shopify grows with you. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Go to shopify.com slash the constant, all lowercase, for a free 14-day trial and get full access to Shopify's entire suite of features. Grow your business with Shopify today. Go to shopify.com slash the constant right now. Shopify.com slash the constant. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The Nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Everybody shush! William Shatner has something to say. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. What do you do when the woman you love dies? Well, of course, you dig her up and you live with her. Aww. The show examines weird things. There are plenty of old photographs from this time period of children out in the streets playing in and among the dead horse carcasses. Oh, I miss those days. Things used to be so much simpler. Cat and Jethro. Then there's the urine wheel, which sounds like a really bad game show. They've done weird things. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. That is really mysterious. Join Cat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. The Webby Award-winning Box of Oddities podcast from Airwave Media. 
There had, of course, been medicine shows before. The heyday had occurred almost a century earlier, when products like Hamlin Wizard Oil and the Kickapoo Indian Show roamed the American Midwest. But there'd never been anything like Dudley LeBlanc's Had a Call Goodwill Caravan before, and there never would be again. At its peak, the main Had a Call Caravan was 130 cars long. It included steam-powered calliopes, dozens of clowns, acrobats, vaudeville comedians, fireworks, several jazz bands, a chorus line, a beauty contest, a freak show, and a top-of-the-line bone-white Cadillac leading the charge with none other than Dudley LeBlanc himself at the wheel. But the real stars of the show were the stars of the show. Cousin Dud managed to line up a slate of celebrity performances for the Hattacall Goodwill Caravan that puts Coachella to shame. There was George Burns and Gracie Allen. Gracie, what did we talk about? Well, how about drugstores? That's where I was this morning. Drugstores? Why not? Be fine. Well, I went there to get a prescription filled. And when I handed it to the man behind the counter, I noticed a very funny thing, George. There was a diploma on the wall. Do you know that man studied to be a pharmacist? What's so funny about that? Well, it shows you how strange life can be. He studied to be a pharmacist, and there he is running Running a drugstore, yeah. Yeah, well, a lot of men get sidetracked. For instance, I knew a fellow who studied to be a mortician, and now he's an undertaker. Yes, seems such a shame. Yeah, but that's Hollywood for you. Jack Benny. Mister, put down that gun. Shut up. Now, come on. Your money or your life? (laughs) Look, bud. I said your money or your life. I'm thinking it over. Mickey Rooney. Have some pity on an Easterner. Show a little sympathy. No one possibly could be sterner. Then you have been with me. Milton Burl. Oh, boy, thank you. Thank you. You can't fool me with all that applause. I can read your lips. <laughs> I'm only kidding. This is the greatest audience I've had tonight. But, uh... Bob Hope. But can you imagine a little desert town like Palm Springs with 16 golf courses? Just shows you what Lawrence of Arabia could have done with Desi Arnaz's money. Dorothy Lamour. Jimmy Durante. It's so important to make someone happy. Make just one someone happy. James Cagney. Give my regards to Broadway. Remember me to Harold Square. Lucille Ball. Hello, friends. I'm your Vitamita Benjamin girl. Are you tired, run down, listless? Do you poop out at parties? <laughs> Judy Garland. And the biggest draw of them all, Hank Williams. Goodbye, Joe. Me gotta go. Me oh my. Hank's wife, Audrey Williams, who would divorce him shortly after the Hattacall tour ended, also performed for the caravan and even recorded a song specifically about Hattacall with Hank on guitar. Grandma's over 80, she feels like sweet 16. 
She's a cuttin' rusties that Grandpa never seen. Grandpa short and droopy, Grandma straight and tall. What put the pep in Grandma? Hattie call, Hattie call, Hattie call, Hattie call. What put the pep in Grandma wasn't just a one-off novelty number. In fact, if you ask me, the most interesting thing about Hattacall is that over a brief period of just four or five years, it birthed a sort of subgenre of American music. Hattacall songs. It started with Bill Nettles and his Dixie Blue Boys, who wrote and recorded the Hattacall Boogie in 1949. Down in Louisiana in the bright sunshine They do a little boogie-woogie all the time They do the Hattie Call Boogie Hattie Call Boogie The Hattie Call Boogie The Hattie Call Boogie makes you boogie-woogie all the time The next year, they recorded another tune, Hattie Call Bounce. Come all you mamas, both for old and young. Your Hattie Call Daddy's gonna have some fun. I ain't been hugged and I ain't been kissed since I put my name on that Hattie Call list. I'm a feeling fine, I'm very much alive. I'm not very old, I'm just a 65. I gained 10 pounds on just one ounce. Since I started doing the Hattie Call Bound of all the wind. Which was a chart-topping hit, inspiring another recording that same year, this one by one of my all-time jazz heroes, Henry Rowland Bird, otherwise known as Professor Longhair. Come on, all you mamas, both old and young. Your head of cold daddy wants to have some fun. I ain't been hooked and I ain't been kissed since I put my name on the Hattie Cole list. That same year, three recordings of Everybody Loves That Hattacall came out. There was this version by Tiny Hill and his orchestra. Hattacall, Hattacall, how I love that Hattacall. Makes you strong, makes you tall. Everybody loves that Hattacall. And then there was the Basin Street Six, who recorded Everybody Loves That Hattacall twice. Once in English, and then again in a very stilted-sounding Cajun. An even more Cajun song, La Valse de Hattacall, was recorded by the very simply named Happy and the Doctor and the Hattacall Boys in 1951. Oh, there's so many Hattacall songs and recordings that I can't possibly hope to make this list comprehensive. Back in 49, Jesse Rogers and his 49ers, the band that originated Here Comes Santa Claus. Here comes Santa Claus, here comes Santa Claus, right down Santa Claus Lane. And the pre-Elvis original Blue Christmas. I'll have a blue Christmas without you. Took a break from Christmas songs to cover Nettles Had a Call Boogie. Down in Louisiana in the bright sunshine To do a little boogie-woogie all 
only time to do it, they had a call boogie. Had a call boogie. They had a call boogie. Had a call boogie. Had a call boogie makes you boogie woogie all the time. Which was then later covered by Jerry Lee Lewis and Buddy Guy. In 1952, Slim Willet and the Brush Cutters released their immortal single, Don't Let the Stars Get in Your Eyes. Don't let the stars get in your eyes, don't let the moon break your heart. The B-side of that record was another Willet pen number called Had a Call Corners. Had a Call Corners, police road, once it rained, once it snowed, most of the time the wind just blowed, Had a Call Corners, police road. The Treneers, one of the prototype rock and roll bands who directly inspired Bill Haley and his Comets with numbers like Go, Go, Go. Also took a stab at Cousin Dud with their 1952 song, Had a Call, That's All. Now there was an old woman who lived in a shoe. Had so many children, she didn't know what to do. She wanted to go out and have a ball. So she bought herself a couple of balls of had a call, had a call, had a call, had a call. Or take boogie woogie pianist Little Willie Littlefield, best known for Kansas City, which he released in 1952. I'm going to Kansas City. Kansas City, here I come. Three years earlier, he had this bop called Drinkin' Had a Call. When I first met you, baby, you was drinking raw alcohol. Drinkin' Had a Call, Had a Call. Yes, when I first met you, baby, you was drinking raw alcohol. But now and off you drink. Not all the Hadakal songs were as obvious as, say, Al Terry and his Gold Star Band, whose entry was unsubtly titled H-A-D-A-C-O-L You drink it and it makes you well Watch so you don't blow your top The darn thing don't know when to stop In my little family We were just my wife and me Now we number ten in all Blame it all on Hattie There were also songs like Hot Rod Shotgun Boogie Number 2 by Tillman Franks and his Rainbow Boys, where you had to listen a while before you caught the pitch. Well, I had an old Ford and it took a chill. It spit and it sputtered as it went up the hill. The motor died out and the thing wouldn't crank till I slipped a little Hattie call in the tank. She did the Hot Rod Boogie and now it runs so fine. There were even knockoff Hadakal tunes, like Hank Penny, who put an off-brand twist on the genre. There's a brand new medicine that cures all ills. If you get a big bottle, you can throw away your pills. It's called Hadacillin, and it's quite a drug. It's a boogie-woogie tonic, and it makes you want to jitterbug. That's cheating, Hank. 
You starting to get a feel for what a party that had called Goodwill Caravan was or what? In the olden days, a medicine show either charged a nominal fee or else was entirely free to enter because the acts were all punctuated with pleas and pitches to buy whatever remedy was sponsoring them. But Dudley LeBlanc's idea was different. Practically the opposite, actually. Sure, the show itself had plenty of Haddockall-related songs and jokes, including this beautiful Milton Berle line, Before I started taking Haddockall, I could hardly spit over my chin. After taking only ten bottles, now I can spit all over it. <laughs> it's very good. But the entry fee was LeBlanc's real innovation. It wasn't free, or even cheap exactly. You couldn't get into the Haddockall Goodwill Caravan with cash at all. To pass through the turnstile, you needed to give over two Haddockall bottle tops per person, or one for children. Oh yes, LeBlanc was certainly selling his 24-proof cordial to children. He even had a comic book published for them called Captain Haddockall. A bottle of Haddockall cost a buck and a quarter, roughly $15 adjusted for inflation. So really, the caravan ran a person about 30 bucks a head. But for that price, they got a carnival, a circus, Lucille Ball, and all the jazz they could handle. Not to mention, about as much alcohol as two gin martinis. Not a bad deal. After two years of caravan spectaculars, soaring sales, nationwide celebrity, and an estimated haul of $20 million, Dudley LeBlanc launched the next phase of his plan he decided to parlay his popularity into another run for Louisiana governor. So he sold off the Haddockall company to a group of Wall Street investors for around $5 million and began his campaign. It was a disaster. LeBlanc took fifth place in the Louisiana Democratic primary with just over 8% of the vote. He made a couple more runs for office over the next decade, but never again succeeded. He also tried at least one more time to recapture the medicine show market, releasing a lemon-flavored vitamin tonic called Carry On, spelled with a K and one R, in 1954. But Carry On didn't. There was no line of celebrities and songs behind it. Perhaps most importantly, it wasn't alcoholic. The product line quickly failed, just like LeBlanc's gubernatorial ambitions. But... If you're starting to suspect that LeBlanc made a mistake selling off Haddockall when he did, then oh my, how wrong you are. See, it turns out that old Cousin Dud had one last Haddockall con up his sleeve. For years, he'd been fudging the numbers. He'd told Haddockall's buyers that the company was taking in more than $3.5 million a quarter, which was true. What he hadn't told them is that he'd been spending more than four and a half million dollars a quarter on the caravan and his various advertising schemes. The new owners quickly discovered two million dollars in unpaid bills and more than a half million in unpaid taxes. That wasn't the only bad news for the Wall Street group. They soon learned the other thing LeBlanc had been hiding from them, that the FDA had decided to come after Haddockall both for false, misleading, and deceptive statements about the elixir's benefits and because of their advertising jingle, The Haddockall Boogie. According to the lyrics, The Haddockall Boogie makes you boogie-woogie all the time. The FDA wasn't sure that it did make you boogie-woogie all the time. And even if it did, they suspected that whatever boogie-woogie was exactly, it was probably sex stuff. 
the Hattacall company went belly up almost immediately. After the sale finalized, Dudley LeBlanc made a guest appearance on You Bet Your Life, where he was interviewed by Groucho Marx, whose brother Chico had been a part of the Hattacall Goodwill caravan. Groucho asked Dudley what Hattacall was really good for, to which Dudley replied, It was good for $5 million for me last year. <laughs> the balls on this guy, right? Well, wait until you hear about John Brinkley's. That's next time on The Last of Our Medicine Show Spectaculars. I'm an ugly duckling, could never get a man. Tried beauty treatments, took vitamins by the can. I got so disgusted, I built me a loving machine. In the slot, you hear some buzzing kisses while they're hot. Five cents a dozen, don't need a man. Got something you've never seen. I'm well satisfied since I built me that loving machine. Pull the lever on the right, two arms jump out. Rap all around, you make you scream and shout. Don't need a man. Got something you've never seen. I'm well satisfied since I built me that loving machine. Music by Epidemic Sound, Blue Dot Sessions, all those people I already cited, and Teresa Brewer, who recorded this swinging number when she was 18. And it contains my favorite backdoor Hattacall reference of them all. So just wait for it. Special thanks go out to all our Patreon supporters, especially Joe Giovanoli and Rebecca Fitchett. If you'd like to join them, go to patreon.com slash theconstant to sign up. You'll get access to our secret feed where I release bonus content, including a couple of live pieces I just recorded at venues around the city, which are dropping in the next few days. Until next time, from Chicago, Illinois, which supplied a chorus girl show to the Hattacall Goodwill Caravan, educationally titled... The history of the bathing suit. This has been the constant. Don't need a man, got something you've never seen. I'm well satisfied since I built me that loving machine. It'll love you all day if you fear and down. Don't have to worry running all over town when my machine shuts off. That